Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. This week I want to talk to you, my sermon is entitled, The Comeback, The Comeback. And you guys have seen comebacks, you guys have seen fourth quarter comebacks. If not, yesterday, Appalachian State, there's two seconds left, right? And and if you didn't see this, it was great Hail Mary, it actually worked. And um, guy throws it, two seconds left, they catch it, they win the game. It's improbable, but there was a comeback that happened. The greatest comeback in NFL history is a game played in 1992 between the Buffalo Bills and the Houston Oilers. Um, And this game is called the comeback. How many of you, you remember this game in 1992, right? Some of you, all of you, you're old. Um, I remember it too. Um, You guys are like, I'm going to stop raising my hand. Um, But it's true, right? This game is called the comeback, and here's why. Because the starting quarterback didn't even play the game for the Buffalo Bills, Jim Kelly. He had a backup called Frank Reich, who is playing quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Their starting running back, their star running back, all you OSU fans, Thurman Thomas, got injured, right? Some of you remember him. Um, And at halftime, the Oilers went up, actually mid-third quarter, 35-3. to People are leaving the stands. They're not sticking around. You've seen it. Like, they're just, the stands are starting to be emptied. And the NFL films, uh, man, immortalized the Houston radio announcer when he said, the lights are here, are, are on here at Rich Stadium. They've been on since this morning, but you could pretty much turn them out on the bills right now. A comeback was unlikely, improbable. Some would say impossible. And yet... They ended up coming back. They, they tied the game in regulation, went to overtime. Their kicker, guy named Steve Christie, ended up winning the game with a two, 32-yard field goal, and the Buffalo Bills pulled off the greatest comeback ever known in NFL history. Now, some of us would be like, man, how did they do it? I think it all started at halftime when their Hall of Fame coach, Marv Levy, simply started his halftime speech by saying this. You've got 30 more minutes. Woo, that gets me going already, right? You got, you got 30 more minutes. I got 25 more minutes right now at the screen I'm looking at, right? Let's be honest. I got 35 more minutes. And, and here's what I love, right? The, the game was pretty much over in everybody's account. Like, They were the anti-Hunger Games, right? The odds were not in their favor, right? The odds were never in their favor. It was improbable. People were saying it's impossible. People were leaving the game. People were walking out saying it's done. I'm done. People turned the TV off, right? And yet the improbable occurred. There was a comeback that happened because these men understood they had 30 more minutes to make a change and and to make history. And can I tell you today, you got about 30 more minutes to make a change and make history when it comes to your life. You got 30 more minutes for something to be different about your life, to make a comeback, to finally make a comeback in your life where you just think, ah, it's too improbable, it's too impossible. We just saw a video of several people who I will tell you, and usually they mostly sit over here, this is the rowdy crew, right? So um, 
Most of them, most of them would say they should be dead, in jail, or homeless, right? And yet, they made a comeback. And what they would tell you is they aren't the exception, they're just the example, right? They're not, like, they're not any different than you or me. They're not the exception to the rule. They're just an example of God's goodness. So today I want to talk to you about how do you make a comeback. And the first thing I want us to understand is this, is don't settle for this is how it's going to be, but keep trusting Jesus for what he said it would be. Don't settle for this is how it's going to be, but keep trusting Jesus for what he said it would be. Some of us, the reality is this is the sentence of our life right now. Well, it is what it is. I hate that saying. I hate it. Well, this is just how my life's going to be. This is just going to be my struggle. This is just who I am. Right? This is just the, 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 the thing that I'm really going to have. Everybody's got their vice, so this is going to be my vice. And we have surrendered and we have settled for something that is less than what Jesus told us we were to be. Jesus came and he said, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. Right? And some of us, we are living less than full and abundant lives. And if that's the case, you have settled for something that is less than what Jesus called you to live. And here's a crazy thing about it. Here, here's, how, here's how good we are as church people. We can even, like, church and Christianese this thing up, right? We can say, oh, well, you know, I, I struggle with this addiction. I struggle with this. I'm, I'm just an alcoholic or I'm just a drug addict or, or I'm just a jerk. See, we think, oh, this is a sermon about drugs and alcohol. Oh, no, 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 no. This is about you being a jerk. And mostly I'm talking to all the men. For some reason, we're always the jerk, right? I'm talking to you that is, you're addicted to porn. I'm talking to you that your marriage is barely hanging on and you just say, ah, it's just what it is. To you whose kids walked off and they're living in left field and, man, they're burned out. And they're not living for Jesus. You say, ah, it's just, it's just kind of what it is. And we Christianize it and we church it up and we say, well, this is just my thorn in the flesh. What? Porn is not a thorn in the flesh. Right? Drugs is not a thorn in the flesh. Don't try to make this biblical. You've just settled for something less than God's best. Right? Like this, this isn't something, well, I just, and, and here's what I would tell you. You got 30 more minutes. Actually, you got 25 more minutes to make a change and make history. Well, this is just what, how my parents were. Right? This is how my grandparents were. This is a, just a family curse. you got 25 more minutes to make a change and make history. Well, I've had this addiction for so long. I've struggled with this so, for so long. you got 25 more minutes to make a change and make history for something when you walk out of this place today to be different and to have a comeback that happens in your life. It may be improbable. You may have waited so long, but there is 25 more minutes for something to change. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. Jesus said this. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. That means Jesus went to church. As his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release, pardon, forgiveness to the captives, 
and recover sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day when when salvation and the favor of God abound greatly. Then he rolled up the scroll, having stopped in the middle of the verse, gave it back to the attendant and sat down to teach. And all the eyes in the synagogue were attentively fixed on him, and he began to speak to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and in your presence. Mic drop by Jesus. Boom. Boss move, right? Like, bam, that just happened. Jesus said, I have come for all of you that you are held captive and you are bound to free you. And can I tell you what his purpose was back then? It's still his purpose today. Man, when I was in eighth grade, I I grew up going to church. Man, I was the kid that went to church Sunday morning. We went to Sunday school before church. We went to Sunday service. We went to choir practice before Sunday evening church. We went to Sunday evening church, and we went to Wednesday night church, right? That's how I grew up, and that's I I appreciate my upbringing. I appreciate everything because it really did help me in my Christian walk. But my eighth grade year in Hefner Junior High, go Vikings. Um, I remember sitting in history class, and a guy I didn't even know slid this folder, and I opened it up, and there was porn in that folder. And in that moment, I can still remember where I was sitting. I can still remember it was Mr. Keller's class. I can remember everything about it. That is the moment I got addicted to pornography. Eighth grade. I wasn't looking for it, and this is why that verse, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You can live a life in neutral, but he's still coming after you. And I remember in that moment, something was different. And for the next, from eighth grade to my sophomore year in college, Bible college, I was hooked on pornography. And and this was back, can we just be a little honest here? This kind of gets a little tense. This was back when you had to be a perv to get pornography, right? Like I was a pervert. Let's just call it the way it was. You had to go to like the Circle K or 7-Eleven and all the dirty magazines were back there and you had to ask the attendant for it. Yeah, I'd like the one with the girl right there. Like the, the Playboy. And they're like, did you say Playboy? I was like, <clears throat> oh, hi, Pastor. Like, no, I, the Mad Magazine, right? Playboy, what's wrong with you, pervert, right? Like, and so um, you would have to go to Blockbuster Video and start, like you can have something this sneaky and an iPhone and an iPad to hide it, right? You had to commit to it. And man, I struggled. I, I, knew, I knew I was supposed to go into ministry my senior year in high school. And in Bible college, I struggled with pornography. And I was great at hiding it. And I, saw, I thought to myself, and I said to myself, well, you know, this is my vice. Man, I, you know, I'm not really hurting anybody. I'm not married, so what's it hurt? No, it hurts. Some of you married guys, you're hooked on pornography today. Some of you married ladies, we always think it's the men. It's not. You think, oh, well, it's, I, I could be cheating on my husband, or I could be cheating on my wife. You are cheating on your husband, and you are cheating on your wife. And there I was, Bible call, and I felt bad. I felt guilty. I knew I shouldn't, and I just kind of settled for those years, like, this is just going to be what it is. God, help me, but I'm going to 7-Eleven. God, help me, but I'm going to Circle K. God, help me, but I'm going to Blockbuster Video. And I struggled. And yet now I am here 26 years free from an addiction from pornography, right? Standing up here. And what happened? See, there was a comeback that happened. And I wasn't 
dismissed. I wasn't somebody that wasn't eligible. I wasn't somebody that couldn't have a comeback. I was somebody who had to come to a place where I dismissed how I was living. I didn't just excuse it anymore. I didn't just say, well, this is the norm. It it was what it is. There's got to be something. If you're ever going to have a comeback, if you're going to make history and a change in the next few minutes, there's got to be something that gets up inside of you, of those of you that are here and those of you that are watching at home online, that something raises up inside you and you realize you were destined for more. You were created for more than what you have settled for. And there is something that God wants to do in your life. And the problem is this, is that we always try to be strong enough on our own, right? We always think, well, if I'm just strong enough, if I'm just talented enough, if I'm disciplined enough, then I can overcome this. But here's what I want you to understand. It's not about you being strong enough. It's about Jesus being strong and capable enough, right? Today, it's not about you. It's not about you being strong enough. It is simply about Jesus is strong enough and he is capable enough. I wore myself out trying to be good enough. I wore myself out trying to fix me. Can I tell you some of these people over here, they tried to fix themselves the whole time. They, they tried to get over the, they, it wasn't that they didn't know it was wrong. They just tried to be more disciplined. If I just get away from this group, if I, no, no, no. There's got to be something besides just getting a, away from a group and trying to be strong. You got to let somebody else enter the equation that can do what you cannot do. And you and I were never fi- meant to fix ourselves. How ego and how self-centered and how full of it am I to think I can fix me? And some of us, we think, well, I can fix me, but you were never created to be strong enough, disciplined enough, or capable enough, but Jesus is strong enough, and he is capable enough. I remember when we bought our first house in Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, We bought this house from a little sweet lady. Um, Man, if you don't know where Wichita Falls, Texas is, it's the armpit of Texas. Um, It's like great people, horrible place to live. We brought this place, though, and... um, this little old grandma lady, super sweet. Um, her house smelled like mothballs, bless her heart. Um, and she had this garden in the back and this huge backyard. And I was like, what am I going to do with this, right? Like, what do you do with a garden? Um, that's not me. That's not, I know I wish I had a garden. But like, I'm like, no, that's not me. And we had this like eight-foot, nine-foot windmill in the back. And I'm like, I'm not, if you have a windmill, that's really cool. But back then, I was like, that's old, right? That's like an old person saying. And so, no offense, Jeff. Um, and so, um, so he has a really cool one. This was like a little light. Anyways, and so um, I get in there, and I'm like, my, my father-in-law comes, Bob, who makes all the coffee like every week here at church. Um, so everybody loves Bob. Um, Thank God for Bob. Bob walks in and is like, hey, I want that windmill. You want it, Justin? I'm like, old, right? And I'm just like, sure, you can have it, Bob. It's going to be really hard to, to part ways with, but, but we can do this. And so he's, I'm like, we're probably going to have to take it apart, huh? He's like, no, I think if we just dig around the base, uh, we can lift that straight out. I'm like, okay, let's do it. So we start digging around, and it's concreted in, but we dig holes enough around it. And I go to pick this thing up, and, and, and hear me. Um, I, I, this was before I went to the gym. I was tall, but I wasn't strong. I was even hefty back then, but I didn't have no muscle. I just had a whole lot of gravy going through my system. And so I, I did. Um, and so I went to pick it up and man, I was, I was, I was using my legs. I was using my, I was using everything. It's like, like this. And I was like, bro, it won't budge, Bob. This, this thing ain't going nowhere. 
He goes, okay, let me, let me try it. I'm like, okay, Bob, dummy. Like, you, you're, oh, Bob does this. He gets up there. He goes, he makes this sound. I'm not exaggerating right now. He goes, mm. and he picks this whole windmill up out of the ground. Mm. Picks it up, picks, like, the concrete's, like, this deep. Picks it up and, like, mm, like this, sets it down. One bead of sweat drips down his face. My jaw hits the ground, and I'm like, I went, I went and joined a gym the next day. My life's never been the same, right? I'm like, I'm done. I was like, I went inside. I was like, Casey, your dad's the strongest person I've ever met in my life. He's like a silverback gorilla. I don't understand it, right? Like, I was just like, holy cow, are you kidding me? You know what he needed to have happen? He needed me to get out of the way because he could do what I couldn't do. And can I tell you what the Lord needs most of us to do is just get out of the way and you stop trying to fix you and let him into the equation because he is capable to do immeasurably above and beyond what you could ever ask, think, or imagine in your life. You just got to let him do what he can do. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always visible, regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely enfold in me and dwell in me so I am well pleased with the weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. That's how God's strength works. And here's the problem. We've got to come to a place, if there's going to be change in history made in the next few minutes, that we're more about our character than our image. Right? Because some of us, we're all about keeping up appearances. And you're great at covering your tracks. Right? You're great at making it not look like anything's wrong. But nothing's going to change until you decide, man, my self-strength's no strength at all. And until I, come to, until I come to a place where I will come to the Lord just as I am, I will never become all that I can be in Him. And I've got to learn that it's not about my image, but it's about my willingness to surrender. This is me. This is where I am. This is my struggle. And I've got to surrender it to Him. Today, our main text, some of you are like, holy cow, you're just getting to your main text. It's a short one. Um, is about my boy, the Apostle Peter, Right? And the more I study and read about the Apostle Peter, the more I relate with the Apostle Peter. Because, man, he did the wrong thing all the time. He said the wrong thing. Any of you in that boat with me, right? Like you say the wrong thing. And you know you shouldn't say it, but you can't help yourself. You're just like, shut up, Justin. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. And then I say it, right? Like I could, just like, idiot. Um, he said the wrong thing. He did the wrong thing. If you think you've blown it, Jesus has never told you to get behind him, Satan, right? But he said that to Peter. I mean, you think you did it bad, right? Peter, Peter screwed it up, right? He cut off a man's ear. He, he denied being one of Jesus' friends, even knowing him, even hanging out with him. And then you get to walking on water. All right, and I love this passage of Scripture 
Because right before it, Jesus feeding 5,000 people, 5,000 plus, with like a fish fillet sandwich, right? He's got some bread and some fish. He, he feeds 5,000 people. He preaches to 5,000 people. Nobody talks about the miracle of him actually being able to project enough for everybody to hear, but pretty cool. Matthew 14, verse 22, verse 33, right after Jesus fed 5,000 people, it says this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. And think about this. If you saw somebody walking on water in the middle of a lake, you would be freaked out too, right? And he said, it's a ghost, right? Like, I would say it's, you know, Nelly. It's like the Loch Ness monster, right? It's Nessie all of a sudden. It's, it's a ghost. They cried, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, this is my boy right here. Tell me to come to you on the water. Prove it, right? That's what Peter's saying. Oh, yeah, prove it, right? Like, I can run 40 yards in 2.5 seconds, prove it, right? Like I can hit a 300-yard drive, prove it, right? That's, that's, Jesus said, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he asked, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. What, what I love about this passage, I'm going to have to hit this quick because we've got a whole other point. I told you it was going to be 35 minutes. Um, and so what I love is that when, Jesus, when Peter is sinking in the water, Jesus doesn't go over to him and say, hey, swim harder, right? Like tread water. Let's go, Peter. Like, pick it up. Like, he didn't act like your parents when you're learning to swim and keep moving back from Peter. Like, come on, you've almost got me. You did it. You did it. And as a kid, you're freaking out, right? He doesn't do that with Peter. Like, he doesn't. And, and Peter doesn't do this. He doesn't say, you know, like, he cries out for help. He doesn't say, I got it, God. I'm okay. <laughs> right? Like, I'm, I'm going to make it. It's not near as bad as it looks like. But don't we do that? Oh, I, I can handle this. Some of you, you are high-functioning alcoholics, and you think, oh, I can handle it. No, you can't. Oh, you're hooked on prescription drugs. Oh, it's not a problem. Yes, it is. And when we minimize what we know is a problem because we want to be the solution. You were never called to be strong enough in the first place. Oh, my marriage isn't in as bad of a place as it seems. Yes, it is. Right? And here's the great thing. Here's what I want us to focus on. Here's what I want us to know. Jesus doesn't move away from you, but the third point is simply this. When you start to sink, Jesus steps towards you instead of away from you. Man, this is huge. Jesus took a step towards Peter in his doubt and his dysfunction and his failure instead of away from him. And don't we think God's going to do the opposite with us? Right? Like, I, I can't come to Jesus. I can't do this because maybe, maybe this is just too bad. Right? I've been praying and I've been covering up for so long. I, I, can't, I can't do this now. It's too embarrassing. But here's the truth. 
If you'll cry out to him, Jesus isn't going anywhere. He'll step right towards you instead of away from you. The other thing I love about this is that Jesus didn't come to Peter with a floaty. This is ours at the house. This is the girls because it's pink. Some of you are like, liar. We'll talk about it later. Jesus didn't say, oh, I see you, Peter. Here you go. And chunk it, right? He didn't. I'm totally glad it's soft. No. He entered the situation. He entered the failure with them. He got close to them. And the Bible says if you'll draw near to him, Jesus will draw near to you, right? That if you abide in him, he'll abide in you because apart from him, you can do nothing. I remember when Chloe, our our youngest, her, Charlie, and one of their friends was at a a friend's house, and they're in the hot tub, and and they're tiny, tiny, tiny. And um, Casey was talking to one of the friends, is like, girls, especially Chloe, don't step in the middle of this hot tub because there's no place to stand in the middle of the hot tub. What happens? Chloe steps in the middle of the hot tub. Well, Casey is talking to to her friend. All of a sudden, she looks over there, and Charlie's, like, eating goldfish. Like, wow, Chloe's really holding her breath for a long time. (laughs) One Mississippi, two Mississippi, you know, like. And Casey's like, Chloe, and she takes off. Casey is fully clothed like this. She takes off, probably has her favorite shoes on, hurdles, because it's an exterior, like, hot tub, hurdles the hot tub in one motion, grabs her, and is like, Chloe, are you okay? And can I tell you, she didn't just throw a floaty at Chloe and, like, hope you can grab it, right? Hope this is a, it, this will help you out. She got right where her kid was and helped her and saved her and got her to a safe place. Can I tell you, if you will simply cry out, out. A comeback is possible for you today because Jesus does the exact same thing. He gets into the situation with you. He finds you in your mess. He finds you in your dysfunction. He finds you in your addiction. He finds you in your secret and he gets you to a place where he doesn't give you a temporary fix for a permanent problem, but he becomes a permanent savior, a permanent solution that allows you to make history and a change in the next few minutes. And Jesus, when he gets to Peter, he grabs him. I don't think he did this interlock thing, right? That's, that's, no, 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 come on. It was either this, but I think it's this. He grabbed a hold of Peter, and he says this, why'd you doubt? And sometimes that comes off like, wow, that seems a little harsh. But Jesus knew something. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, my little children, I'm writing you things, writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the atonement for our sins, and not for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus knew who he was and what he could do. So why would you doubt? First John 4, 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Peter had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 plus people. Peter had seen miracle after miracle. But maybe something creeped in Peter's mind that creeps into ours. Maybe Peter thought, man, I've seen him do it for others, but I'm not sure he'll do it for me. And here's what I will tell you. If he did it for them, he'll do it for you. And what I love, what I love, they walked. when, When Jesus grabbed hold of Peter's hand, the storm didn't stop. It's still raging. It was still going. 
but they got in the boat together. They got in the boat together. He didn't say, okay, that's close enough. Now you, now you go, Peter. He got him to a place <coughs> where he could experience a comeback. And history was made. And a change was made. Can I tell you, if he did it for Peter, if he did it for all these people on this screen, man, he can do it for you. No matter how the odds are against you, no matter your history, no matter your story, no matter how many times you've tried, our 30 minutes is up. And your 30 minutes, are you going to make a change? And are you going to make history? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, I just come before you, and I thank you that you are capable, you are strong enough to handle us. Even the most messed up ones of us, you are capable of handling us. You don't throw temporary solutions at a permanent problem, but you enter the situation with us. Lord, in our failure, if we'll cry out to you, you step towards us, not away from us. And Lord, many times you will do more on our way back from our failures than our aspirations that got us there in the first place. And so, Lord, I come before you today, and I pray that right now, in this moment, history would be made, that a change would be made in this place and in this lives. Lord, that for people that are watching online, that a change in history would be made today. The Lord, we wouldn't keep saying this just is the way it is, and I am what I am, and my parents were, and I've just only known addiction, but Lord, there would be a comeback that happens today. That Lord, while we were sinking and it was almost over, that we would cry out to you today and that you would grab us, that you would pick us up, that you would walk us to a place where we can permanently be changed and history can be made. Lord, I pray today that we would surrender it to you today. That we just get real about it today. We get honest about it today because nothing gets changed by us minimizing or faking or pretending we're not what we are. Lord, the moment that we surrender to you, that's the moment a comeback happens. That's the moment change happens. And that's the moment history can be changed for the rest of our life. Lord, I pray, do something in the next few moments that blows us away. Do something in the next few moments man, that flips the table on our lives. Do something in the next moment that allows us to have a comeback to our life. In Jesus' name I pray. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.